Take our Bibles, take our Bibles this morning and turn to Genesis, the the ninth chapter of Genesis. As we continue our journey through Genesis this morning, we're in verses 1 through 17. I want to welcome Noah Hammonds with us this morning. Noah is one of our military personnel home on leave, and I told him I've been preaching about him for three weeks this time he showed up. Uh, But we're glad to have Noah home with us, and his parents, of course, are Wayne and Charlene, and we appreciate all of our military personnel and their service for our, our country. Uh, let me just tell you also, this Tuesday morning, Teresa and I will be flying to Columbus, Ohio. We're uh, going to go to the Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, believe it or not, this is the only second one I've ever attended. I went in 1990, and people used to ask me, are you going to the convention? I'll say, yeah, no, I've already been to one. But I'm going, uh, the, the convention has invited us to come as their guests. Uh, Katie and David will be uh, commissioned Wednesday at the Southern Baptist Convention, commissioned to their uh, appointment as uh, international board missionaries. So we'll be up there Tuesday, Wednesday, and be back home Thursday. David and Katie will be with us next Sunday and the following Sunday. So we're, we're excited about that. Um, as I said, we're continuing our study through the book of Genesis. Last week we saw when God in chapter 8 verse 15, he called Noah out of the ark. In verse 9, chapter 9, we see that God makes a covenant with Noah. Chapter 9 verse 8, then God spoke to Noah and said to his, and to his sons with him saying, behold, I myself do establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. And with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, and every beast of the earth with you, of all that comes out of the ark, even every beast of the earth, I establish my covenant with you, and all flesh shall never again be cut off by the water and the flood, neither shall there be any again a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I am making between me and you and every living creature. That is with you for all successive generations. I set my bow in the cloud and it shall be a sign for a covenant between me and the earth. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are a faithful God. God, we sang this morning, great is your faithfulness. We thank you, Father, for your covenants or your promises, your pledges that you have made with your people down throughout the years. We pray this morning that, God, as we've read Uh, Kobe read from Jeremiah 31, we thank you for the new covenant. As we see the covenant with Noah here, we think of the covenant with Abraham. God, we thank you that you have made pledges, you have promised, and you have covenanted yourself to your people. God, we pray this morning that you would speak to our hearts. Father, for those who know Christ today, to find again and be assured of your faithfulness to us. For those who are still struggling and looking for something they can really count on in life. Lord, may they come to Christ today and experience your faithfulness through salvation and through your care for them. God, we pray you would bless this time in the Word. In Jesus' name, amen. Those of you who know me well know that, as some people say, I'm not totally right. I mean, there are just some things that are not right. As I, I was reading this passage, the first thing I thought about was what did Noah and his family experience when they came off the ark? What was the earth like? What did it look like? Well, my mind took me back to the twilight zone. 
Those of you who are old enough my age, you can remember the Twilight Zone. Rod Serling and his voice, and he would take us on an episode. It started in the 1950s, but in the Twilight Zone, there was one episode that featured Henry Bemis. Henry Bemis was a bank teller, a very nearsighted bank teller. He, I say nearsighted, he wore Coke bottle glasses and he could barely see what he was doing. But Henry Bemis loved to read. As a matter of fact, he was often reprimanded at the bank for reading on the job. What a terrible crime. Reading on the job. And so t- he, he never had enough time to read. As Rod Sterling would say, his passion was the printed page. He loved reading so much that he never had enough time to read as much as he'd like. One day he's in the vault putting some things away. And as it can happen only in Hollywood, the door closes and the earth is destroyed by a nuclear attack. So somehow Henry makes his way out of the vault and he walks out to the earth and he is the only survivor in the whole world. Everything's been destroyed. And he's pretty bummed out about this for a little while. But he gets to walking around and all you see is debris everywhere. And he comes to a public library. And he's got all the books there that have not been destroyed. Some of you are getting excited because you love to read as much as Henry. <laughs> what does Henry do? He, he makes a stack of books for January. Makes a stack for February, March, all the way. The whole year, he makes another stack for the second year. He, he is so excited. He's going to spend all this time. Everybody's been destroyed. The whole world, nobody there but Henry. And he can read. The, the name of the episode is Time Enough at Last. So Henry settles in on the steps of the library to read his first book. And he leans over to pick it up. And his glasses fall off and break. Henry finds himself in the twilight zone. I don't know why I thought about that, but I just thought it was kind of cool. Uh, <laughs> has nothing whatsoever to do with what we're talking about, but I just thought it was a cool story. But, but Noah and his family came off the ark, and everything had been destroyed. Everything had been destroyed, but God you know, provides for Noah. And un, unlike Henry, i got to tie this in somehow, Noah has a job, okay? He has something to do rather than just sit around reading all the time. God blesses Noah. Look at chapter 9, verse 1. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of you and the terror of you will be on every beast of the earth and on every bird of the sky with everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea into your hand they are given. Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. I give all to you as I gave the green plant. Only you shall not eat the flesh with its life, that is, its blood. And then we go on down to to verse 8, where God establishes this covenant. But when Noah comes off the ark, everything is gone. Let's go to see. No, they're not there anymore. Let's go visit. No, they're not there anymore. It was a time when Noah needed assurance, and Noah needed to know God's presence, God's blessing. So God blessed him and gave him a job. But the greatest thing that no one needed was to know that he and his family were safe. That he and his family were in God's care. And that's going to be our primary focus this morning. But I want you to know that God's made a promise. And God is faithful to us. Again, in the warpness of my mind, I take you back to peanuts. Lucy and Linus were looking out the window at a steady downpour. Lucy says, boy... Look at it rain. What if, what if it floods the whole world? 
Linus speaks up. It will never do that. Linus replies confidently. In the ninth chapter of Genesis, God promised Noah that it would never happen again. And the sign of the promise is the rainbow. Lucy responds, you've taken a great load off my mind. Linus, sound theology has a way of doing that. Taking a great load off our mind. I want to show you a picture. Can we do this real quick? There, there we go. This is the scene that Teresa and I saw when we were leaving Borough Bridge a couple weeks ago. We're driving from Borough Bridge to Manchester. And this is the rainbow, the actual rainbow. Now, this is an English rainbow, if you can notice. (laughs) You see the differences between the English rainbow and the American rainbow. But this is an English rainbow. I don't know. Are there any differences? No. No. Church, let me tell you. We're leaving our son and his wife and their two grand, our two grandkids there. And as we're riding and we see this rainbow, you know what God says to me? He says, Keith, I got this. I got this. They're going to be fine. You know, wherever we go, this is a, a universal sign of the faithfulness of God. Isn't God good to us? Isn't God good to just give us some little things every now and then just when we need it? God says, I've got this. And I want you to know I felt like Lucy. It's a great load off my mind. Sound theology has a way of taking a load off our mind. You know, there's a lot to be concerned about. There are a lot of things that cause us care and concern and anxiety. But God reminds us, I've got this. I've got this. Well, this morning we want to focus on the rainbow. But before we do that, the verses I read just a moment ago, verse through four tells us that before God gave Noah the assurance of the rainbow, he did something else. God affirms Noah and issues another cultural mandate. God affirms Noah. Look at this in verse one. God blessed Noah. You know, as I thought about that, we read that God blessed Adam. God blessed Noah. Isn't it a great comfort? I mean, isn't it a great privilege To think that we have been blessed by God. That God, we saw in chapter uh, 6 where Noah found favor in the eyes of God. God, Noah was a righteous man, but God blesses Noah. And what God blesses us to do, when we have God's favor in our life, we can go with confidence. Let me ask you, do you have questions about things in your life that you think maybe God's not pleased or maybe I don't have God's confidence, I don't have God's blessing on this? Hey, you need to wait until you do. You need to, as the old country preacher, you need to pray it through. You need to pray it through. You need to pray until you know that God is going to bless this. Is God going to bless this marriage? Does this relationship meet all the standards or what I know to be scripturally sound? Is this business venture, is this something that I can honestly put before God and ask God to bless and know that God is going to bless this endeavor? Church is a lot to think about in, but we're not going to spend a lot of time there. But God blessed Noah. God's favor was upon Noah and his family. What a great statement. Then he issues what I say is another cultural mandate. He said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Now, if you remember in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God said, the scripture says, God blessed them, Adam and Eve, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply 
and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. I read that again because I want you to see how similar verses 1 through 3 of chapter 9, how similar these verses are to what God told Adam and Eve. Again, we see God's affirmation, God's blessing, and then God's mandate. Be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and multiply. Now, this mandate is what God instructs His people to do in relationship with their world. Okay? That's what we mean by a cultural mandate. We live in a culture. We live in a world. Now, Noah and his family were the only ones alive, but they had a job. They had a mandate from God, and God says, be fruitful and multiply. The same thing he said, very similar to Adam and Eve. When they were the only people alive, be fruitful and multiply. Cultural mandate. So this mandate is issued again. It is to be fruitful, to multiply, fill the earth. As I said, we talked about that in Genesis 1, but it's important for us to be reminded that God uses His people in the world. Now, God does not, Scripture does not tell us, as a matter of fact, it's against Scripture, to isolate ourselves, to withdraw from the world. Now, we've all probably been tempted to do that. Hey, let's just build a Christian neighborhood. Let's just all huddle up in our holy huddle, us four and no more, and just have a good time. You know, throughout history, people have done that. A lot of people have taken vows of separation, vows of poverty, and even vows of silence. I was reading about one monk. You know, used to do this in monasteries all the time. And this monk took a vow of poverty, a vow of silence, and a vow of separation. So he lived in total silence in a meager little room a whole year. And after the first year, the monastic council called him in and said, what do you have to say? He said, food bad. Food bad. So they sent him back out for another year of silence, another year of separation, another year of poverty. Brought him in the second year and said, what's the state of your soul? And the monk said, bed hard. The council got together and they kicked him out. And he said, why? They said, well, you've been here two years and all you've done is complain. Okay, anyway. But to separate separate ourselves is not what God calls us to do. As a matter of fact, the idea that Christians should withdraw from the world is contrary to Scripture. Jesus said we're to be salt, we're to be light, we are to impact the world. We're called to proclaim the glory of God. And I want to remind you in two ways, through our work and through our family. Now, the, the cultural mandate is not just have a bunch of babies. Multiply, be fruitful and multiply. But to subdue the world, to go into the world, to bring glory to God through our position in the world. So what does that mean to us today? Well, it means that whatever I do, I should do for the glory of God. Whatever my vocation is, I should do it for the glory of God. I should do my work as if unto the Lord. If I'm a factory worker, a farmer, a mailman, whatever my calling, I'm to do all that I do, all my work for the glory of God. We should treat our vocation as a divine calling from the Lord. Look at chapter 9, verse 7. He repeats this mandate. As for you, be fruitful and multiply. Populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. As I said, I think the mandate obviously applies to our work, but it does very specifically apply to our family. 
Let me remind you, I believe with all my heart that our first calling of priority of ministry is to our family. I've said this for years. If I fail at home, I failed as a minister. God has entrusted me with a wife and three children to minister to, to multiply, to be fruitful, to produce godly offspring. And let me tell you, church, that will not happen by, by accident. We need to be very intentional as we raise our children. As we raise our children, we, we teach them the Word of God. We encourage them in the things of the Lord. We bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The Scripture says that children are a gift from the Lord. We need to, again, as I said, be very intentional about reaching the world through our vocation and also through our family. I was talking to some expectant parents this morning. We were talking about their unborn child. I said, just begin to pray for him or her. Pray very specifically. I tell you what I prayed for our children every day. Lord, protect them from drugs, alcohol, premarital sex, and HIV virus. And that's just what God placed on my heart. I pray God give them Christian friends because I knew that every friend they had would either encourage them spiritually or destroy them spiritually. The home is the institution of the Lord. Be fruitful and multiply. Raise up godly offspring. And church, that will not happen by accident. Reach the world through our vocation. Reach the world through our family. But notice also in this section, verse 3. Every moving thing that is alive shall be food for you. I give all to you as I gave the green plant. This is different than the Genesis creation account. Here, man is given the right to eat meat. Every moving thing that is alive. What does this mean? It means that death is now a part of life for man and for beast. What do we see? We see that life is different because of sin. The sin of man brought terror into the world. Terror to the animals. And from now on, instead of living in harmony, a harmonious relationship, the animals and man are at disharmony with each other. The animal becomes one of man's sources of food. We see that in verse 3. Up until this point, we were led to believe that they're all vegetarians. But now, God says, I give you food to eat of every living creature. Every creeping thing can be food for you. But there is one stipulation. Verse 4. Only you shall not eat flesh with its life. That is, its blood. The life of man and beast is found in the blood. I mean, it's no coincidence to me that the world of evil is obsessed with blood. I mean, there's a whole genre of, of Hollywood movies today about blood and gore. Christian, let me tell you, that, that's not healthy. To eat or drink animal blood, human blood, that is repulsive in the eyes of God. God gives a very specific, specific warning about that here. And yet we have seemingly a whole Hollywood crowd that's consumed with this consumption of blood and blood and gore. To me, that's the epitome of evil. But as we think about the lifeblood, it's amazing that Jesus comes and He gives His blood for us. 
that we are to be sprinkled with His blood. We're to be cleansed with His blood. The very life of Jesus is sprinkled on us through His blood. But there's a very clear restriction here. Don't eat the flesh with its life, that is, with its blood. So we see that God affirms Noah by blessing him and giving him a mandate to impact the world. Secondly, God acknowledges man's worth and institutes capital punishment. Well, that's a contradiction, isn't it? Well, let's see what God says in verse 5. Surely I will require your lifeblood. From every beast I will require it. And from every man. From every man's brother I will require the life of man. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made you. What do we have here? You know, obviously it's a somewhat controversial subject and we could spend a lot of time here. And I understand that, but let's just see what, what God's telling us. God is forbidding the taking of human life by animals, by beasts, or by other humans. By man, his blood shall be shed. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be, sa- shall be shed. Many people believe that God at this point is instituting the first human government. The right to execute justice. Peter says that the purpose of government is for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. That the purpose of the government is to execute justice in the land. And again, we can talk about capital punishment, but to me, the, the principle is very clear. Whoever sheds a man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. God's giving man the authority to execute justice when a murder is committed. The reason given for this authority, the authority to take another human life, is the fact that the life of man is of great worth to God. Why? He says, because you were created in the image of God. It's an interesting thing. It's a lot to think about for us. But God wants us to know that we are created in His image. You know, this is the third time in the first nine chapters that God reminds us that we are created in His image. Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Genesis 5, and now again in Genesis 9. God wants us to get it. That we're all created in His image. The life of a man or woman or boy or girl is of great value to God. Now, capital punishment is not designed... To be a deterrent for murder. Although I think when carried out properly that it is. But capital punishment, the taking of another life by authority or by another person, is not to be a deterrent. It's designed to be the ultimate punishment for evil. The ultimate punishment for the ultimate evil. Taking the life of another person. Again, I know they're varying uh, positions on this in the church, but again, I think the principle is very clear here. Life is important because life is precious because it's precious to God. Capital punishment is designed to be a punishment for evil, the ultimate punishment. Man is given the responsibility to execute justice, and if we do not punish evil by executing justice, we as a society will suffer. God gives us the authority. 
God gives man the authority to execute justice. And if we don't do it, there are consequences for our society. Now, let me just say this. As Christians, we're often questioned about our seemingly contradictory stance. Why can you be for capital punishment and against abortion? How can you be in favor of killing one person and yet against the killing of the unborn? Well, the reason that we're against abortion, or most Christians are against abortion in favor of capital punishment, is that we believe in the sanctity of all human life, the born and the unborn. Capital punishment was God's way of protecting human life because human life is of great worth in the eyes of God. The worth comes from the fact that we're created in the image of God. And if we believe, as the Bible teaches, that life begins at conception, then we're also against abortion because it's taking the life of another human being, one who has, come, who has been created in the image of God. So that's how we can say, well, you know, murder is wrong. It's the ultimate evil and demands the ultimate punishment. And we have a responsibility as a society to execute justice. Abortion is taking the life of an unborn child and life is precious in the eyes of God. And I believe we have a responsibility as a society to protect life. So that's where I think most Christians come down in terms of those two controversial issues. Let me tell you this. You're here today, and you are of great value to God. As Kobe says, we are for you because God is for you. We are for this community because God is for this community. That all of us have created in the image of God. Yes, we've been tarnished by sin. Like the Apostle Paul, we don't always do what we want to do. Sometimes we do the very thing we don't want to do. But yet we're created in the image of God. We're of great value to God. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so today you feel like, well, my life is a mess and I've done things. Can God really forgive me? Yes, he can. The blood of Christ cleanses us from all our sin. But God has created us in his image to have a relationship with him. Through Christ, we can be restored. You have been fearfully and wonderfully made. Sin has marred and tarnished us. We are all broken. Broken in different ways, but broken nonetheless. But through Christ, we can be restored. And we'll see that more clearly in a minute. But let's look. God acknowledges man's worth and institutes capital punishment. God affirms Noah and issues another cultural mandate. And here thirdly, God assures Noah and illustrates his covenant of promise. God assures Noah. We read this Verses 8 through 17, a while ago. Noah needed some assurance. Have you ever gone through a traumatic experience? If you've ever been in a car wreck, then you know that for a long time you drive just a little bit different, don't you? If your home has ever been burglarized, you're not really excited about coming in at night by yourself. I mean, there's certain traumatic events that calls us to have a different perspective, if not forever, at least for a short period of time. Now think about Noah and the anxiety that in his family they suffered. What do you think every time they saw a rain cloud in the distance? Is God going to do it again? What do you think they would think and feel in heart when they did something they knew was displeasing to God? Did we make him angry? Did we make him angry enough to destroy us and our family? So Noah needed some assurance. Noah needed some assurance. God took care of all that anxiety in a very powerful, clear way. 
He assures Noah that he will never destroy the world by flood again. And he gave him a sign. It was a sign of the rainbow. Verse 12, God said, this is the sign of the covenant which I'm making between me and you. And notice he made it with every living creature that is with you for all successive generations. I set my bow in the cloud and it shall be for a sign of a covenant between me and the earth. It shall come about when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow will be seen in the cloud and I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and never again shall the water become a flood to destroy all flesh. Noah needed some assurance and God gave him a promise. God gave him a pledge. Anxious people need assurance, and they need to hear it over and over again. Seven times in this passage, verses 8 through 17, seven times God uses the word covenant. So what, what is a covenant? A covenant is a pledged or defined relationship. A pledged or defined relationship. God made several covenants with his people in Scripture. We're not going to go into great detail, but you know he made a covenant with Abraham. He made another covenant with Moses and the Jewish people. God made a covenant with David. And God promises to Jeremiah a new covenant. A new covenant. Let me tell you this. We can also speak, and I think accurately so, about the covenant of marriage. Because see, marriage is a defined, pledged and defined relationship. And if you got married, as most of us did, in the presence of God and way too many witnesses... You you made a covenant to your spouse and to God. It's a three-way covenant involving yourself, your spouse, and God. I'm afraid too many of us take the covenant of marriage too lightly today. God is a covenantal God. God established a covenant with Noah. He established a covenant with Abraham, again with Moses, the covenant of the law, the covenant with David, and the promise of a new covenant. And again, that's not exhaustive, but these are just some we're going to talk about for just a minute. But a covenant is a pledge or a defined relationship. This is how I will relate to my people. Here, God, by covenant, promises never to destroy the earth again by flood. It's a covenant with Noah. And for 4,000 years, we've seen that. God is faithful to this promise. Now, different regions of the earth have experienced flooding, but never in the history of man since Noah has the whole world been flooded at one time. This covenant was instituted by God without conditions. Notice that. God didn't say to Noah, now, Noah, you be a good boy and I won't do this again. No, he said, I know that the heart, your heart is evil. The heart of all men is evil. But here's my covenant anyway. I will never destroy the world again by flood. God made that covenant so we could say it's unconditional. It's a unilateral covenant. God made a covenant with Noah and the animals. And the animals. That's pretty cool. God's concerned about the animals. Jesus said not a sparrow falls that the Lord doesn't know about it. But anyway, 821, for the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth and I will never again destroy every living thing as I've done. God knew their heart was evil, but he made a promise anyway. God makes a covenant without conditions. Without conditions. He promises never to destroy the earth earth again. And as Linus says, sound theology is a great relief. It's a great relief. So God gives a sign to Noah. It's the rainbow. And as we saw in this picture, the English rainbow 
Looks just like our rainbow, doesn't it? This is a universal covenant. A universal covenant with the world. It's an eternal covenant for all time. Now the Bible says that one day the world will be destroyed, 2 Peter, by fire. And a new heaven and a new earth will appear. But the earth will never again be destroyed by flood as God has promised. So God made a covenant with Noah. God's covenant with Abraham was very similar. Again, we're just going to touch on these. God initiated this covenant and there were no conditions on Abraham's part. God, as a matter of fact, passed himself through. He cut a covenant with Abraham through the parts of the animal. And the, the, the picture of that is, if I break this covenant, may what happened to these animals happen to me. And so it was a very serious covenant. God promised to bless Abraham that his seed would multiply like the sands of the sea. And that through his seed, all the nations would be blessed. And God has kept that covenant. God made a covenant with Moses and with the Jews. But it was different. It was conditional. Did you notice what Brother Kobe read a while ago as you're reading in Jeremiah 31? He said, you have broken my covenant. It was a covenant established with the Jews that was conditional. It was based on obedience. Yet the Jews broke the covenant. The soul that sins, God says, shall surely die. Whoever breaks the, whole, whoever breaks the law in one point is guilty of all. And the law was broken. God promised blessing and protection for His people in response to their obedience. If they obey, they will be blessed. If they keep His commandments, they will prosper. And as the Scripture tells us, that covenant was broken by their disobedience. The story of the Jews leads us to a story of God's covenant with David. God promised David that one of his descendants would be king forever. And that he would have an eternal kingdom. First Chronicles 17, 11, I will set up one of your descendants after you and who will be with your sons and I will establish his kingdom forever. I share that because God is a covenantal God. God established covenants and God does not break his covenants. But do you see where I'm going with those covenants? The covenant of the law demanded obedience. The Jews weren't able to do that. But yet, about 2,000 years ago, there appeared a Jewish carpenter by the name of Jesus who went about doing all things well. In him, no sin, no impropriety could be found. And yet he was murdered. He was nailed to a cross. And we find out years later, he died not for his sin, but for our sins. And just like Noah Noah's family was saved by the righteousness of Noah. We are saved today by the righteousness of another. This Jewish carpenter named Jesus. And do you see that Jesus comes from the lineage of David? David was promised a kingdom that would last forever. Do you see that Jesus was a Jew of the seed of Abraham who would do through him all the nations would be blessed? God is a faithful God. But God assures Noah and illustrates His covenant with the, of protection with the rainbow. Let's look quickly that God has established a new covenant through Jesus. Colby read that a few minutes ago. God promises a new covenant. Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-three. But this is the covenant which I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and on their heart I will write it. 
And I will be their God and they shall be my people. We all remember as we participated last Sunday, we remember at the Last Supper, Jesus took the cup and he said, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Jesus came to establish a new covenant with his people. Jesus instituted the new covenant in his blood. And here's the promise. He promises to deliver all who trust in him. So much like the law, it's conditional. The condition of the law was perfect obedience. But the Jews couldn't do that. We can't do that. But yet now we can come to God through the perfect obedience of another, the righteousness of another, the blood of Christ, the payment that Christ made on the sin for our, on the cross for our sin becomes our payment by faith. By faith. Jesus fulfilled the law. He kept the law perfectly. And he was the only one who was righteous. And again, like Noah's family, we're saved by the righteousness of another. The righteousness of Christ becomes our righteousness in the new covenant. God instituted this covenant. It's from God, but it's conditioned on faith. Listen to what Jesus said. John 3, 18. He who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already. John 3, 18. The sign of the new covenant. The sign of the new covenant. We can look at the rainbow. And a matter of fact, you know, just remember, next time you look at the rainbow, realize that God's the one who's actually looking at it. The covenant, the rainbow was a sign to God to remind him that he would never do this again. But it brings a lot of assurance to us. But the sign of the new covenant. You say, well, Jesus says the blood of the new covenant. It could be the Lord's Supper. It could be the sign of the, the covenant of the law was circumcision. And people say, well, the sign of the, the new covenant is baptism. You know, Jesus said, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. By this will all men know that you're my disciple if you love one another. We could say the sign of the new covenant is love. But I'm not going to take a stand firmly anywhere other than to say this, that Jeremiah 31 said, when the new covenant comes, that God will write this law where? On your heart. The sign of the new covenant is a new heart. I believe. It remind, we're reminded through baptism. It's a picture of dying to ourselves. We're reminded through the Lord's Supper. We could say the covenant is the Holy Spirit who gives us a new heart, who separates us from the world. But nonetheless, we have a new covenant with God through Christ. And all who believe with him, in Him, whoever believes in Him will not be condemned. But whoever does not believe, the Bible says, is condemned already. Every time we look at the rainbow, we're reminded that God is faithful to keep his promise. He will not judge the world again by flood. The promise of the new covenant is there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Just as Noah was saved by faith, he trusted God and went into the ark. We hear the gospel today. We're saved by faith as we turn from our sin and we go to Christ. In Christ. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Jesus said in John 6, 37, Whoever comes to me, I will not turn them away. Church, that's the message of the gospel. God is a faithful God. We come to him in faith, believing his word, trusting his promises. And he is faithful. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning.